Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome back to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's new sermon series out of John titled Life in His Name. And today, you're listening to his first sermon called Let Me Introduce You to Jesus Christ, coming out of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So if you have a Bible today, I would ask you to take that Bible and open up to the book of John chapter 1. Today... We are beginning a brand new series going verse by verse through the book of John. And the series is entitled Life in His Name. Life in His Name. We're going to spend the better part of two years going verse by verse through the gospel of John. Now, when you hear the word gospel of John, let me remind you there is only one gospel, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are four different gospel accounts. So if anybody were to come up to you and ask you the question, how many gospels are there? Do not fall for it and say four. No, there's one. The subject is the same, Jesus. But there are four different gospel accounts, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, and the gospel according to John. Now, John is a little bit different than the other three gospels, not in the fact that he talks about anything except Jesus, but instead he's going to start at a different place, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. We're going to learn through our study of John that one of the most important words that John uses in his account of Jesus is the word sign, S. I-G-N. Now, we've all seen signs, haven't we? Uh, yesterday, our, our, our son had a basketball game over at Fort Walton Beach, and he plays for Mosley, and they were over there. And after the game, uh, the family went, and, uh, you know, all of us were there, and our youngest daughter's getting ready to head back to college. And uh, we're excited for that, her last semester of college, and she'll graduate. I had somebody asked me earlier, How's it going to be not to have any of your kids in college? And I'm like, it's not going to be any different. What do you mean by that? I'm still paying for everything. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, that's, that's my problem, right? I get that. I get that. It'd be, it'd be like you complaining about your dog sleeping on your bed. That's your problem, okay? Anyway. But we're like, hey, let's all go. We'll eat somewhere. And so we decided that after the game, as a family, that we would go eat at McGuire's Steakhouse. Now, I know some of you would say, that's a pub. No, it's not. Not to a Baptist preacher. It's a steakhouse. <laughs> and I had sweet tea. I'll just let the record show. We knew it was going to be a wait, but it was worthwhile. Kids had never been there before, and so we were there, and we were waiting for our table, and Jennifer and our, and our daughters had to go to the restroom, and then they came out, and they're, you know, we're headed to our table, and Jennifer's like, look, if you got to go to the bathroom, you need to be real careful. Some of you have been there. You know what she's talking about. And uh, I'd been there before, but I'd never used, I guess, the restroom. Uh, and so as we were walking back out, we walked by the bathroom and we saw the signs and we knew exactly what she was talking about uh, because the uh, ladies' restroom sign, it actually in big words, or excuse me, a restroom sign has in big words, ladies. Right above it, it says this, don't go in here in small little letters, ladies. Don't go in here, ladies. This is, in small letters, this is the men's room. The ladies' room is across the hall. I know why they did it. They thought they were being funny and humorous. I'll tell you, my lady did not find much humor in it. <laughs> As I can only imagine, you probably would not either. But a sign, we can't get mad at the sign because the sign, it doesn't exist for itself. A sign is always there to inform you of something or to point you to something else. For instance, you, you go outside. Our, our 
our campus here today, you're going to see several signs that are going to say Highland Park Baptist Church. What are those signs communicating? Those signs are communicating that this is where Highland Park Baptist Church meets. Now, what if you were to go outside and somebody's just sitting there and they're just staring at the sign and you're like, what are you doing? They're like, I'm watching Highland Park Baptist Church. There it is right there. You would say, you're crazy. No, that's not right. That sign is not saying this is who I am. That sign is communicating a point. And so that's kind of the structure of the book of John. I think it's pretty, pretty simple there that there are several signs that we're going to see that are recorded in the gospel of John, and they're all pointing to the same place, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, somebody were to ask me, what is the central scripture or verse for the gospel of John, that would be a hard one to answer. There are so many that are rich. But for the sake of our study, I'll draw your attention to one, and and don't worry, you don't have to leave there in John 1 because we'll deal with that. But there's one in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and this will help you understand how I came up with the name of this series. John 20, verse 30, it says this, And truly Jesus did many other signs, there's that word, in the presence of his disciples, which are not even written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that means the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may, here it is, have life in his name. So why does the book of John exist Because it gives us all these signs that point us where? To Jesus. Why does the Old Testament exist? It gives us all these signs that point to Jesus. Why do the Pauline epistles exist? Because they give us all these signs that point to Jesus. Why does the revelation exist? Because it's but one revelation. It's not revelations. It's revelation. What's the revelation? Jesus, Jesus, you're like, it's all about him. You got it. And that's what John is saying. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, let me introduce to you Jesus Christ. At the introduction of Christ, look there with me back in John chapter 1, verse 1. I want you to see what it says. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now let's stop right there. Some of you are beginning to understand why it's going to take us two years. Let's stop right there. Because in these three verses, we see four powerful truths about the star of the show. Jesus Christ. I want us to look at these four. They're going to be very simple yet very profound. And then we're going to look at how do we apply them to our lives? What does it mean if we adhere to these four truths? Now, here's truth number one Jesus is the Word. He's the Word. That's what it says right there. Maybe, maybe as you're beginning to read this, you're like, well, it's kind of interesting that John would start where he started. I mean, why would John not start like the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Why wouldn't he start at the very beginning when Jesus was born in Bethlehem? I would submit to you that he started at the true beginning. He didn't start when Jesus put on flesh and left heaven. He didn't start when Jesus was born in that stable. He started long before that. He started at the very beginning of the beginning. He goes all the way back. Matter of fact, look at what he says in verse 1. Y'all all right this morning, by the way? Y'all real quiet. Look in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, does that sound like another verse to you? That'd be Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. It's not by coincidence. It's not by chance. No, the very first recorded words in John 1 1, the very exact phrase from Genesis 1 1. I'm just saying we are now starting to get some insight 
into why and into the nature of the very God who created everything. But then look at what it says. The word's the person. (coughs) Excuse me. It doesn't say it was the word, does it? He is the word. And then later the word's clearly identified as Jesus Christ. Now let's get real basic this morning. Can we do that? Let's very quickly define what indeed is a word. A word is an audible or visual expression of a thought. Again, I go back to our church sign. You see that and you're like, huh, no, that's not Highland Park Baptist Church. It's communicating the thought, this is where Highland Park Baptist Church gathers together. This is where they worship together. Now, with that being said, since we say a word is an audible or visual expression of thought, I want to do an experiment together. Can we do that this morning? It requires audience participation. All right. Yeah, wake up your neighbor. Say, hey, hey, if you ever want to have fun sometime, when you get a neighbor next to you asleep and they're just in the throes of it and they're snoring and everything, elbow them and say, Pastor called your name. <laughs> That's fun. Smaller churches, we used to say, preacher wants you to pray. Um, Y'all know I'm not going to do that in here. Here's an experiment. Right now, I'm thinking of a word. Now, I don't know if we have any mind readers in here. But what word do you think I'm thinking of? Okay. Okay. Jesus, the word. What what word? Anybody else? What word am I thinking of right now? Okay. Somebody somebody said pizza? All right. Okay. Thank you. You feel free while I'm preaching to throw that one out there quite a bit. Just as strong and as loud as you did. (laughs) Hey, here's the word I'm thinking of. Are you ready for this? And by the way, some of you are giving me way too much credit. Random word, Barney. (laughs) When I say that word Barney, all of a sudden in your mind comes, okay, there's that big purple dinosaur. And some of you who are addicted to Andy Griffith all the time, you thought the other Barney. (laughs) I I love that some of you, Jesus would have been too easy, right? I almost thought about bacon. I thought, no, somebody guessed that one too. But, but, but here's what we're communicating. So when we talk about word, and he's using here word, this is an audible or visual expression of a thought. And the reason why I bring that experiment up is this. Do you know what the question was of the Old Testament for thousands of years? What's God really like? I mean, boy, we need an expression of God. What is, what is God really like? And then the New Testament says, we'll show you what God's like. We'll give you his expression. Jesus. Jesus, that visible expression of who who God himself is. He is God. So the first truth to introduce us to Jesus is he is the word that he speaks of here, John does, in chapter 1. But then secondly, he is eternal. Look at what verse 2 says. The Word was with God. It was with God. The psalmist, he was writing about God's eternal nature. And here's what he wrote in Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. He said, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Now, you and I exist in this very moment. I mean, how do we know that? We look, we're here. We exist. Do you know that's not always been the case? We've not always existed. A little little over 52 years ago, and it, it hurts my heart to say that. A little over 52 years ago, I was born in Selmer, Tennessee, to George and Diane Kyle. You're like, well, where were you before then? Well, the Bible says that for nine months that I was being knitted together by him inside my mother's womb. 
You say, well, where were you before then? I wasn't. That there is no before then. That there is no before conception. Understand what this scripture is saying. If you go back before, I was not there. Neither were you. But what John is saying is, let's go back before Bethlehem. Let's go back before Gabriel showing up. Let's go all the way back before any of that. Jesus is. Before he took on flesh, he is. I heard a preacher say it this way one time. Jesus Christ, the only baby ever born that was older than his mother and the same age as his father. And that's how unique and unbelievable he is. We're going to continue in our study of John, and eventually we'll get to John 8. And when we get to John 8, we're going to see that Jesus is there, and there are religious, Jewish religious leaders that are there, and they're making fun of Jesus. And basically, here's what they're saying. You say that you were born of a virgin. Nobody can be born of a virgin. No, no. We were not born in sexual sin like you were, Jesus, indicating that indeed he was not born of a virgin. And they said, you know what? You don't even know who your father is, yet we know who our father is. They said, our father is Abraham. And then Jesus made a shocking response to them. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And then the Jews responded, they're like, you're not even 50 years old. And you're saying that you've seen Abraham? There's no way you've not seen Abraham. And then Jesus made another outlandish claim. Jesus said, I'll one-up you before Abraham even was. I am. The Bible says this, the Bible says it so infuriated the Jewish religious leaders that they picked up stones and they were going to kill Jesus right then and there. Because they knew that when Jesus Christ said, I am, he is now taking on the persona of God. Now walk with me back all the way to Exodus, and you can read this later on. But over in Exodus, God comes to Moses, God speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. And God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king of the Egyptians. And the Jewish people were in bondage. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. And so God's talking to Moses out of the burning bush. And God says to Moses, you go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, but I mean, who, who am I supposed to tell him sent me? I mean, they got all these Egyptian gods, and they did. All these false idols, these false gods. Every one of them had a name. And Moses says, they've all got names. Who am I supposed to tell them that has sent me? What name should I use? And God said this, you tell them I am has sent you. Jesus has just said, I am. I, now stop and think about this. It was a very, very simple word in Hebrew, but it literally means this. It means that I am being, I have always been, and I will always be. Jesus has just now claimed this title for himself. If I were to ask you, what were you doing a week ago? You'd probably give me an answer. If I were to ask you, hey, what were you doing a year ago? Might be a little bit harder. But maybe you could come up. Yeah, I gotta look back through my phone and look at the pictures. Now, if you're having to do that for last week, we got problems. But what if I were to ask you, what were you doing a thousand years ago? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't doing anything either because you didn't exist, neither did I. I'm just saying, guys, the very claim that Jesus made was unique. He says, I existed from the beginning of the beginning. I think that's a terrible phrase anyway, because now we're trying to limit Jesus like you and I are limited to time and space. He's not limited to time and space. For us to even say he started at the beginning would, would be removing glory from who he is. I'm saying beginning cannot even begin to help us communicate how long he's been. Always. Never been a time without him. Never will be a time without him. He is eternal. He is the word. 
Can I give you a third one? Good, we got plenty of time. This is getting more outlandish. Jesus is God. I mean, look at the next phrase there in verse 1. The Word was God. Remember what I told you, the Old Testament? Who is God? What is God like? We, we just want to know more and more about God. Can we, can we truly understand what God's like? Oh, God, would you please reveal yourself to us? Remember that's what Moses begged? Reveal yourself. Reveal yourself. God's like, if I reveal myself to you, you'd die. And what did he say? Could I just see your back? Hide me in the cleft of the rock. God's like, all right, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. So God hit him in this little hewn out section of rock and he's there and he doesn't even see God directly. Just the back, the Bible says the back of God's Shekinah glory walking by. Just all of a sudden he caught it from a peripheral vision and it so burnt his face and hair that he went down and everybody's like, you've been playing with electricity? What's going on? A little girl one day that had her crayons out and she very feverishly was drawing a picture and her mom said, what, what are you drawing, sweetie? She said, mom, I'm drawing a picture of God. And her mom said, oh, sweetie, you, you can't draw a picture of God. Nobody knows what God looks like. She said, you give me 10 minutes, they will. <laughs> hey, hear me. Jesus is God. He is God. He came to show us what he is like. He put on a human face on the invisible, immortal God. Now, there are many groups of people out there that they believe in Jesus. They just don't believe he's God. The Mormons, the, the Mormons, they're, they're some of the nicest people that you'll ever meet. They make great commercials. But they don't believe that Jesus was God from the beginning. They believe that Jesus captured his Godhead status by good works like, uh, like, like a Mormon man could do. Muslims, Muslims believe that Jesus was a great prophet. They believe that he was born of a virgin. They believe that he performed miracles. They call him Isa. They believe he's even going to return again. They don't believe he's God. Jehovah's Witnesses, some of the nice people that you'll ever meet. You have friends and family members that are Jehovah's Witnesses. They do not believe Jesus is God. If you read John chapter 1 in their own translation, which is the New World translation, their own Bible, you'll see that they have removed very factual things where Jesus makes claims that indeed he is God. I've heard folks say this, Jesus never claimed to be God. Are you kidding me? Are, are, are you serious? Every time he referred to himself as I am, he was identifying himself as that very same God who called Moses. We'll eventually come to John chapter 5, if you can hang on for that long. It'll be many, many weeks from now. But John chapter 5, verse 18, I, I don't want to wait to talk about this because I don't want you to hear what it says in John 5, 18. It says the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath laws. I can, we don't even have time to talk about that. But he also said that God was his father making himself equal to God. That in, introduces us to a very important doctrine. What is it known as? We sang about it this morning. It is known as the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the triune God. There is only one God, yet that God expresses himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And try as hard as we may, you and I cannot mentally grasp this. We cannot intellectually understand this. Why? Because you and I live in a physical universe where only one bit of matter can occupy one space at a time. We've even tried to use simple metaphors to help us explain the Trinity. I've used a few myself, and they're short. They're wrong. You can't explain it. I've even said before, like me, I'm one person, and yet I'm a father, and I'm a husband, and I'm a son. One person, but I fulfill all those. I've even heard folks explain it this way. It's kind of like H2O. H2O, can, it can be water, or it can be ice, or, or it can be steam. It can be liquid, right? 
It's the same formula, but it's expressed in three different ways. And try as hard as you and I may, we just cannot explain the Trinity. But it doesn't mean it's not true. John Wesley, the great preacher, here's what he said. He said, if you can explain to me how there can be three candles in one room and only one light, I'll explain to you the Trinity. Basically, it is beyond our understanding that there is a mystery of God that you and I will never be able to comprehend. And these are things that we believe by what? Faith. So here's Jesus John's introducing us to him. John's saying, hey, before we get into all this, I think you should know who the central character of the story is. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the Word. He is eternal. He is God. And then he makes a fourth statement. Jesus is the creator of all things. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him. Isn't that simple? I mean, my goodness, you guys could have written this sermon so easy. Basically, when it comes to the origins of the universe, there are two two trains of thought. First of all, there's the train of thought and some people who who they claim that the universe, it, it just all happened accidentally. That somewhere out there in the distant past, millions and millions of years that unknown forces came together and there was this big bang and out of this big bang, all of a sudden the universe was formed. And this just all happened as a matter of random process. And as a result of this random process, Life came into existence, and the apex of life, the very top, the climax of all this is what? Human beings. That's one school of thought. On the other hand, there are those who believe it happened this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when I look at the expanse of the heavens, you ever go out in your backyard, you're just like, Wow, the handiwork of God. When I think about the intricacies of life, you moms and dads, you remember what it was like to hold that child in your hands for the very first time? Some of you are like, I was counting fingers and toes. And you hold them there and you're like, Oh my goodness, what a gift from God they are. And then they turn 16, you're like, take them back, Lord. (laughs) You really didn't know what you were doing there. No, absolutely. When I see the order of seasons, I see the handiwork of God. Years ago, I was flying back from a mission trip overseas and I was seated next to a guy that I didn't know. And I, I was just tired. It was a long flight. And, you know, you, you ever have those where you're like, you know what? I really don't really, I'm not really looking for conversation. And uh, somebody in our group referred to me as Dr. Kyle. And, and this guy said, oh, you're a doctor. I'm a doctor too. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not, not really that kind of doctor. Um, and, uh, and he said, well, I'm a professor at a university. I'm like, oh, okay. And so we started talking and he Eventually, the conversation moved around to creation and, and faith. And I even asked him, I said, talk to me here. What, tell me what you believe about creation. And he was so articulate. And he, he explained the Big Bang Theory about creation and the theory of evolution. And, and I listened to him. And man, he, he was able to answer everything. And so, and so then I said, and I said so, so basically, basically what you're telling me is this. You believe that everything that we see... You you believe that everything we are, you believe it's all a result of random choice. And he said, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what I believe. What do you believe? (laughs) No, I I, I wasn't mean. I, I seriously wasn't. Some of you guys don't give me credit. He said, what do you believe? And I'm like, well, let me explain it this way. We're in this jet. This jet's like 30, 35,000 feet above the earth. 
going about 500 miles an hour. And I've read that there are 150 miles of electrical wires in a jet, one of the big passenger jets. That it has over a million parts to just one plane. Now, I did read something this week that says Southwest jets have about 700,000 parts. No, no. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry. We have a lot of Delta pilots in our church. If you're Southwest, I'm, I'm sorry. We still welcome you with open arms. <laughs> Just a little humor, right? I try, to keep, I try to bring some levity right before I get ready to sucker punch you. You do realize that, right? And I said, about a million. I said, so, so, so. Basically, what you're saying is, it would be, when it comes to this jet, it would be the equivalent of, there was an explosion that happened in a jet graveyard, and it put this plane together. <laughs> or it would be the equivalent of, of there, were, there were many different explosions that happened in a, in a jet graveyard, and these million pieces come together, and these 150 miles worth of electrical wire all comes together, and I said, you believe that's how this jet was created? He goes, no, I don't believe that. I said, how do you believe it was created? He said, Boeing. And I said, me too. <laughs> the Boeing company created it. And I said, likewise. The human body's a thousand more, comp thousand more times complex than this jet. I believe in a creator. And he smiled and he said, you know what? You got a pretty good point right there. I'm not saying he changed his mind. I don't, I don't know if he changed his mind or not. But I don't think he had ever thought about the possibility of a creator in those terms. Well, guys, I bring that up because, you know, there are many, many verses out there that claim and they verify that Jesus is the creator. One of my favorites is found over in the book of Colossians. Several years ago, we walked verse by verse through the book of Colossians. It's in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And I want you to hear what this says about Jesus creating. It says in verse 16 of Colossians 1, For everything was created by him. The him has already been identified as Jesus. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's one of the reasons why we pray for those that are in authority over us, whether we voted for them or not. Whether they're an elephant or a donkey. <laughs> Look at what it says. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Do you see what I just said? That not only is Jesus the creator of all things, but what does it say right there? He holds all things together. Have you ever wondered before? Hey, hey what, keeps the, what keeps the earth from just coming off its axis and just kind of going out in the middle of nowhere? What keeps a black hole from developing that just kind of absorbs the moon and it's gone? Well, according to this, Jesus... We'd say he's the super glue of the universe. I always like to say he's the duct tape of the galaxy. That he's the one that holds it all together. He created it all, and he's the one that sustains it all. Scientists, they've been studying this matter thing for many, many years, and they claim this. They claim that all matter, large and small, is composed of particles. Those particles are known as atoms. That those atoms are now broken down into smaller particles called neutrons, protons, electrons. And as my high school science teacher used to say, who also taught me Sunday school, and croutons. <laughs> and he's also the one that, I mean, I, I really don't find science humor. But uh, he, great man of God, he's... He's home with the Lord right now. Let, let me say this to Sunday school teachers. He's the one. I'd be the only one in the youth Sunday school class 
You're, you're looking at the youth Sunday school class, a Lakeview Baptist Church, in 1986. Our class was so small, they put us in the room behind the baptistry. If anybody was getting baptized, it messed us up. We complained, and then they moved our classroom, and our classroom then became the church van. I'm not making that up, which I love because we'd study our Sunday schools. We'd head off to the donut shop. Many Sundays, I'd be the only one. And here's what I would say. I'd say, oh, Mr. Moore, Mr. Moore, you don't have to teach today. I'm the only one. And he said, no, I do have to teach today. You never know. That's what he said. You never know what God might be teaching through me, you, so that you might teach others. Before he died, several years ago, I was, was back home and his body had been ravaged by cancer and my parents had said, you know, hey, hey, listen, Mr. Moore didn't have much time left. And I said, I want to go see him. I called him up and went and sat in his living room. I said, hey, hey Mr. Moore, you remember? You remember where I'd be the only one? And he goes, oh, yeah, I remember. I said, you remember where you'd ask me questions and I hadn't listened to what you taught and I was the only one. Oh, I remember. I remember. I said, Mr. Moore, do you know I pastor a church now? Please, please hear me, guys. I don't, I don't say this to be arrogant. I don't say this because of, I say this in spite of. I said, Mr. Moore, do you, do you know I pastor a church now with over 4,000 members? That through our television ministry and online and everything else, we get to reach tens of thousands of people every single week all around the world. That's hard to fathom because, I mean, that's, that's bigger than the entire county population. So, so I say this to you Sunday school teachers, and you're like, well, I only had a few kids in my class. You may not be the teacher of thousands, but you may be teaching one who will teach thousands. But he had this science humor. In his honor, I share this joke with you today that I don't even find humorous. <laughs> he called it atomic humor. What did the proton say to the electron? Why you got to be negative all the time? And then he would say, and then the electron said to the proton, well, you just think that everything revolves around you, don't you? <laughs> and then the neutron spoke up and said, hey, I just want to thank you guys for letting me stay here at no charge. <laughs> and I'm the only one in the class, and I'm like, ha, 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 Yeah, I don't like science humor. I remember that, though. He was reiterating the point that the Bible makes over and over again, that not only did Jesus create the universe, he is sustaining the universe at this very moment. He is the Word. He exists from the very beginning of the beginning of the beginning. He is God. He created all things. You're like, hey, that's wonderful. I mean, we read, it said it right there, but let's just be honest. We all come to the point where we're like, well, what do those four truths that introduce us to Jesus Christ, what does it have to mean for us? I mean, isn't that the question that you ask? I ask it. What difference does it make in my life? Well, let's talk about some important application truths in the time that we have left. You're like, you've got another one? Not four, I'll break it down to two, okay? Here's the first one. Not only did Jesus make you, he cares for you. He cares for you. 
The psalmist writes about this a lot. You go over to Psalm uh, the 33rd Psalm, and it's telling us there about how Jesus is interested in us personally, and he's involved with his creation. I want you to listen to what it says in verse 13. And again, this is Psalm 33. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. He's watching you. That's what the psalmist has just said. Not only did he create you, he is watching you. And some of you are already paranoid and you're like, oh my goodness, are you kidding? Are you telling me Jesus is watching me? I think I've told you this before. There was a, there was a Catholic school and they were having a problem in their cafeteria to where students would come tr- through and they would take more than one apple. And they'd come to the end of the uh, lunch line and there would be kids that couldn't get an apple because other people had taken all the apples. And so there was a nun that said, you know what, I'm going to remedy this problem. And she wrote on the apple box, only take one apple, Jesus is watching you. A little bit further down the line, there was a box full of cookies. And one of the students took it upon themselves to write this on the box of cookies. Take as many cookies as you want, Jesus is watching the apples. He can watch the apples and the cookies. He sees everything. Listen to me, guys. He sees billions of people, and yet he sees you as well. And the Bible says that you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. That the very God who fashioned the stars, right? The very God who created the galaxies, he also fashioned and created you. And the very God who holds the world and the universe and all the planets in just the right spot, he can also sustain your life and he can keep your life from falling apart. But that is who he is. Years ago, the great theologian, Bette Mittler, (laughs) wrote a song called From a Distance. The lyrics go like this. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us. I almost think I could have written that myself. From a distance. Well, she was right. God is watching us. But it's not from a distance, friend. The psalmist says this in Psalm 34, 18. Please hear this. Somebody hear this today. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Do we have any brokenhearted people here today? The Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. Anybody's spirit been crushed? That's the reason why we say this, Jesus, who's been forever and forever will be, Jesus, who created it all, Jesus, who sustains it and keeps all of it together, he's a sweet balm for a weary soul. He created you, and he cares for you. And here's the second one, and we'll finish with this one. He delivers those who trust him. Again, Psalm 33, verses 18 through 21. I want you to see what the psalmist writes. But look, the Lord keeps his eyes on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. Now, please hear me. When you look the word up for death there, it's not talking about physical death. It is talking about eternal death. Understand, there are some folks that pull this out of context and say, if you just have enough faith, you'll never taste physical death. No, what this is saying is that even though we all live in a physical realm, even though we all have bodies that are breaking down the longer we live, that we have been created for more than just this body he's talking about a sustaining eternal life that only 
Through Jesus Christ does death give life. It says, rescue them from death and keep them alive in famine. Listen to what it says. We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Mm. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. So he's just said, Jesus Christ, he came to seek and to save the lost. And that's where you and I all were at one time. But if you put your faith and trust in him, he delivered you from a spiritual death into now life. And that you can rejoice even though we are living in a broken world. We can rejoice whenever our trust is in his name. I was reading recently this article that said this, that there are over a hundred billion sparrows in the world. Some of you are thinking, half of them live in my backyard. Some of you are like, oh, I love birds. We won't get into that. 40 million sparrows die every day. And yet Jesus makes a claim over in Matthew that not a single sparrow falls to the ground apart from his knowledge. And we are much more valuable than sparrows. And if we're worth more than many sparrows, it can only be because of his love for us. There's an old song written many years ago, made famous by Ethel Waters. Some of you may remember this. She sung this. If his eye is on the sparrow, a hundred billion. If his eye is on the sparrow, I know he watches over me. And your creator knows exactly what's going on in your life. Hear me. Your creator knows when you're flying and your creator knows when you are falling. And he cares. One of the most profound, powerful statements about Jesus comes from the brilliant scholar C.S. Lewis. Some of you are beginning the new year, and I've seen where you've asked for recommendations on books to read. May I recommend one to you if you've never read it before? Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, written in 1952. He was once a self-described friendly agnostic until, as he puts it, he experienced God's compelling embrace. You've probably heard excerpts from this quote, but I want to give you the entire quote so it can challenge you. Are you ready? Here we go. C.S. Lewis writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. He's talking about Jesus. For instance, they may say, I'm, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. Lewis writes, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to him with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. For he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Listen to this. He writes, now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. Did you know that the simple tense of one verb can make the difference between heaven and hell for you? The difference between is and was. That can determine your eternal destiny. 
That when you think about Jesus, do you ask this, who was Jesus? Past tense. And for many, many people, Jesus is like this historical character, no different than Plato or Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. On the other hand, when you think about Jesus, do you ask the question, who is Jesus? Present tense. That if that is the way that you, you form the question, you, it, it indicates that you believe that Jesus is. He is alive at this very moment. And so the question really that John is posing to all of us as he says, let me introduce you to my Jesus, is this. Will you trust him today? And will you trust him for all your tomorrows? It all boils down to Jesus. One day every one of us in this room, unless he comes back, We'll take our last breath. And all that will matter will not be how well-known we were. It'll not be how much money we made or have to leave. It'll not even be what kind of individual we were. The most important thing will be, who is Jesus in your life? Is he your Lord? Does your faith and trust rest in him? No, he's watching. He's in this room today. And he loves you so much that he'll change you if you'll just trust him. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle and I want to thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K, dot org. On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons, which are archived for the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out. Worship with us live at 2611 Highway 231 North. We would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you've got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, would increase your faith, and would help you as you mature daily in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless.